Hello, welcome to Weekly Dose with Dr. Uday, where all your questions for your primary care doctor are answered. Our goal is to help our listeners make their wellness a priority and live out long, enjoyable, and fulfilling lives. All right, we are on. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Weekly Dose with Dr. Uday. I am so excited. We have a surgeon here with us that's going to be talking about hemorrhoids. Um, We're going to start with introductions, and then we're going to get right into the topic. So um, for those that don't know me, my name is Dr. Uday. I'm a board-certified family medicine physician. I'm based in Martinsburg, West Virginia. I own a primary care practice, namely Apple Valley Family Medicine, um, and I also provide aesthetic services for my patients and clients. And with both modalities, my goal is to have my patients not only looking good. So I'm actually going to turn it over to you, Dr. Belazier. I'll let you introduce yourself, but welcome, welcome, welcome. So, so yeah, cool. thank, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yes, my name is Dr. Rita Belazier. I'm a dual board certified general and colorectal surgeon in Houston, Texas. I recently opened my own um, solo private practice um, called Houston Community Surgical. And um, yeah, just uh, taking care of general surgery and colorectal surgery issues similar to what we're talking about today. Yes. So we're going to get right into it, guys. So We'll start with hemorrhoids. So from your perspective, Dr. Bellazier, what is what are hemorrhoids? Okay, so hemorrhoids, and this is one of the first things I tell people, hemorrhoids are part of everybody's normal anatomy. You're born with hemorrhoids. So hemorrhoids are part of the continence mechanism, meaning like, you know, when you have that urge to go to the bathroom and you're able to hold it in, that's continence. So they're part of that mechanism. They're not the entire mechanism, but they're part of it. So we're born with them. It's a normal part of our anatomy. When they become problematic is when they get swollen, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But essentially what a hemorrhoid is, is it's a um, it's like a, a spongy cushion of tissue inside of the anal canal that has a bunch of blood vessels inside of it. Um, and again, it's part of our continence mechanism. So what would you say causes hemorrhoids? So the cause of um, swollen hemorrhoids um, is essentially straining and gravity, right? So um, if you sit on the toilet for too long, gravity's kind of pulling down on those hemorrhoidal cushions and can cause them to become swollen. So if you think about it a little bit like varicose veins, for example, like if you're standing up after a very, very long day, your legs can feel a little bit heavier swollen. It's essentially the same thing with hemorrhoids. So gravity and then straining. Yeah, absolutely. So things like, you know, constipation and things like childbirth. I I remember those, um, those things are a big common one that we see. Now, when patients come to you, what symptoms most likely do they have? So depending on the type of hemorrhoid, which we can also talk a little bit more in detail, the the most common symptoms are bleeding, pain, and itching. Those are really the three most common um, symptoms of hemorrhoids. Absolutely. So, and then from your perspective, diagnosis, how do you diagnose it? 
So it's really a clinical diagnosis. Um, and what I mean by clinical diagnosis is people will come in with symptoms. So they're like, I'm having a lot of bleeding from below. And that can cause a lot of concern for patients when they see bleeding. Or I've got this pain from below or this discomfort and I feel kind of a bulge or uh, extra skin or, or something like that. <clears throat> so the diagnosis is on physical exams. So in addition to their history that they're giving me the symptoms, I'll do an exam and I'll just actually see swollen hemorrhoids in that area. Um, there's no special like CAT scan or imaging or anything that needs to be done. It's really just physical exam is how we diagnose them. Absolutely. And then um, are there, this is actually a question I get all the time. Are there any differences between those internal and external hemorrhoids? Yes, that is a great question. And that actually lends itself to how we treat them. So Internal hemorrhoids, as you can guess, are a little bit further inside the canal, so they're internal. External hemorrhoids are more external and they're covered by skin. Now, the reason why this is important is the nerve endings that supply the internal hemorrhoids are called visceral nerve endings, meaning that it doesn't cause pain. So when those get really, really big, they don't cause pain. That's why those tend to internal tend to cause bleeding. So they get really big. You pass a hard bowel movement. It irritates the hemorrhoidal cushion. You get some transient bleeding that tends to stop after the bowel movement, or they can see it when they wipe um, with the toilet paper. They can see it on the actual like piece of stool, or sometimes it's enough that it kind of tints the water in the toilet bowl red or pink. So that's um, internal. External is really covered by skin. So the nerve endings that supply the external are the same nerve endings that we have on our skin. So if you can imagine something on our skin getting really, really swollen, it gets really pain. We feel that pain. So with external hemorrhoids, if um, they get really swollen, that's why those tend to cause a lot of pain. Um, the external ones will get swollen when, so like I said, the um, hemorrhoidal cushion, that tissue has a bunch of blood vessels in it. What happens is one of those blood vessels or multiple of those blood vessels can get a clot inside of it. Sometimes it's just random that it happens. Sometimes it's after a really large bowel movement. Sometimes it's after sitting for a really long period of time. Mm -hmm. A clot in it and then that tissue becomes really, really swollen and then it stretches that skin and it causes really acute onset severe pain. So that's kind of how we can diagnose really internal versus external. And that's what guides our management as well. Thank you for that great explanation. Awesome, awesome. So how do you treat it? Um, okay, so internal hemorrhoids um, tend to be graded based on um, how much, they, how big they are and if they're prolapsing, meaning if they're kind of coming out of the anal canal. So. Grade one tends to just be a little bit swollen. They don't really prolapse at all. A lot of times people don't even notice that they have a grade one, right? They're not causing problems. Grade two is a little bit more swollen. It'll kind of prolapse on its own and go back in after the bowel movement or after sitting down. Those can cause some bleeding. And grade two, grade one and grade two hemorrhoids can be treated with medication. Usually we treat them with um, hydrocortisone. That's a little bit stronger than the over-the-counter um, and they can come in suppository form. Essentially with the hydrocortisone, which is a steroid, what it does is it just acts locally. It doesn't go through the bloodstream through your whole body. It just acts in that area, um, almost like a topical cream. And it um, shrinks that hemorrhoidal column 
so that when you do have a hard bowel movement, it's small enough where it doesn't irritate it. So grade one and grade two can be treated as such. If you have grade two that are causing a, a lot of bleeding or bleeding that's bothersome, um, you can also treat those with um, rubber band ligation. So essentially what that is, it's an in-office procedure. It does not require any anesthesia, not even numbing medicine, because as I said, it's those internal hemorrhoids that don't have the painful nerve fibers. So essentially what happens is you put a little scope inside the anus, you find that swollen um, tissue that's causing the bleeding. And oftentimes on exam, we can see which one is probably the biggest causing the bleeding. And we put a rubber band right at the base of it to kind of like choke off the blood supply. And in about five to seven days, that hemorrhoid with the rubber bands falls off and it scars in. So that can be a way to treat grade two hemorrhoids. Grade three hemorrhoids are ones that prolapse out that require manual reduction, meaning you have to push it back in yourself. Those tend to be bothersome for that reason. And also those will tend to bleed more. Those can also be taken care of by rubber band, but those tend to not do well with medication because they're kind of like already big enough. They've surpassed what medication can help with. Usually those need intervention, like a rubber band ligation or surgery. Now, grade four is the type that is very large. It will prolapse out and you cannot push it back in. Those need surgery. A rubber band is not going to help with that um, because it's too big. And often by that point, the external portion has become really, really swollen. The reason you cannot rubber band the external portion is because of the nerves that supply it. Those are those skin nerves that are really painful. So imagine taking a piece of your skin and putting a rubber band on it, how painful that would be. That's why we do not band external hemorrhoids at all. So if there's a problem with external hemorrhoids, those need surgery. You go all the way to sleep. There's a lot of anesthesia given. There's a lot of numbing medicine being put in and we excise those with a knife and, uh, and a stitch. And so grade three, grade four, especially with an external component, those can often benefit from a surgery. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that uh, explanation. That's great. So I'm actually going to switch gears. Um, actually, before I do that, do you have any um, actionable tips for anyone out there that is suffering from hemorrhoids, either to prevent it or to, like, if they have the lower grade that they're doing, or just any suggestions that you would give anybody that has hemorrhoids? Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest thing for prevention is um, avoiding constipation. So, um, you know, fiber, dietary fiber and fiber supplements. Um, those are great for your colon regardless. They make your colon very happy. There's some implication that it can reduce the risk of colon cancer. So fiber, 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 fiber. Um, that's number one. Um, number two, if if you still are having problems with constipation after that, you can also use um, other kinds of stool softeners or, or laxatives. Um, my preference is for osmotic laxatives, meaning like Miralax. Those are ones that kind of pull water into the colon and help you have a bowel movement, as opposed to stimulant laxatives, which are things like Senna, Dolcolax, even the ones that say naturally occurring, they will often have like senesoid leaves or plants. And because it says natural, people tend to think they're a little bit better. But um, what those stimulant laxatives do is the muscles in the wall of your intestine, they cause them to contract. And so people can get really crampy. 
They can also get a tolerance and a dependence to them. And then eventually they kind of stop working. So they need more and more and more and more and more. And the constipation isn't resolved. So I try to avoid those unless absolutely needed um, for those reasons. But so avoid it. So answer your question, avoiding constipation, fiber, laxatives. Um, the other thing is what we call toileting hygiene. So when you get the urge to go, you sit down. If nothing comes out after a minute or two, you get right back up. Okay, so you you kind of come and go as many times as you need, but you avoid sitting on the toilet for very prolonged periods of time. That means, and sometimes I need to listen to my own advice. Take <laughs> your, don't take your phone in there. No books allowed. No magazines. No TikTok on the toilet. Like, <laughs> okay, we are all guilty. Okay, I'm not blaming anyone for anything, but five I'm doing those five. things, right? <laughs> right. I know. I know who I'm talking to. You're saying, trust me, we can hear ourselves and everything. <laughs> exactly. We laugh because we know it's us, right? Self-included. I'm not I'm not on any kind of soapbox alone with this. So um, so avoiding sitting on the toilet for long periods of time. Um, and then when they do become symptomatic, um, getting the treatment that you need, right? So um um, you know, whether it's medication or surgery or whatever, getting them looked at. Once they become a certain size, obviously prevention is sort of out the window. So getting them treated before they become like a really big problem um, is best. Absolutely. So you guys, you heard the doctor. So <laughs> have this problem, she's giving you actionable steps. And then obviously if it gets to the grade three, four, then it basically sounds like you're going to be seeing Dr. Belzier. <laughs> Um, so actually, to switch gears a little bit, I'm going to ask a few questions um, sure. about you. And so the one I usually ask is, why do you do what you do, Doc? So I, why do you do what you do? Yeah, so that's a good question. The joke is, can I give you the joke answer first? Is <laughs> One of my attendings in a colorectal fellowship, she said that whenever she used to get asked this question, why are you a colorectal surgeon? She would say, well, there was an opening. Um, but <laughs> Um, but truly, uh, so actually when I graduated general surgery residency, I really actually enjoy being a general surgeon. I like the variety of pathology. I like, you know, you know, a little bit, um, what's the word? Not really like ADD, but essentially a little bit like that. Like I like, I don't, I like get bored easily doing the same thing over and over. So, um, but when I was a general surgeon, I was noticing that um, I practiced for a year doing emergency general surgery, and I noticed that a lot of things were getting taken away to be given to a specialist. And I, I understand that. Um, but that said, I wasn't ready to like give up everything. So I kind of chose a specialty that was only a one-year fellowship. So colorectal surgery fellowship is only one year. It's highly operative, meaning that we do a ton of cases during that year. And um, it also has a lot of overlap with general surgery. So I, it's not like um, thoracic surgery, for example, chest surgery, where I kind of would have to maybe give up a little bit of general surgery. There's a lot of overlap with general surgery. So I really liked that aspect of it. The other thing is that um, it kind of lends itself to retiring, right? So after you're done kind of doing the big bad abdominal surgeries, big cancers, rectal cancers, diverticulitis, like all the big abdominal surgeries, colon resection, you can still do kind of smaller operations where you still have your hands in the game, but you know, you can slow down a little bit. The other thing I'm realizing as I've gotten into it too, is um, while I enjoy treating all genders, I really love treating women. And what I have found is with 
sensitive topics like hemorrhoids, like, you know, people don't like to talk about this stuff. They feel embarrassed by it. Um, a lot of times I see women when they're menstruating and they feel embarrassed. So I like being able to give women a safe space to come. We can talk about it. They don't have to feel embarrassed. It's another woman who's had kids. I know what it's like to get these hemorrhoids during pregnancy. So I really, really enjoy treating women. And, and that was not the reason I went into it, but it's really kind of evolved into what I love treating. And then pelvic floor issues. A lot of women have pelvic floor issues that also involve, you know, the uterus or the bladder and things like that. So there's a lot of multidisciplinary with um, GYNs and I really enjoy that aspect of it too. So okay. the question I always ask is, um, if you could talk to your 20 year old self, what would you tell them with all the experiences you've had so far? What would Ooh. you say? That's like a whole nother podcast. <laughs> That's <laughs> I have so many things to tell her. Yeah. Number one, I would tell 20 year old me that um, I would tell 20 year old me that life is not perfect and, mm -hmm. and, and the imperfections are what make you better. So like, like chill out, you know what I mean? Like I would tell 20 year old me, like, I don't even remember the grades I got in college, but I remember being very concerned about them in college. Um, and I didn't get like, I got, a, I got fine grades, but I didn't get like the grades that I wanted and all the A pluses. Right. So right. I would tell 20 year old me not to worry about it. I would also tell 20 year old me to mm -hmm. start saving money, girl, start saving money. Okay. Your 43 year old self is going to love you for that. Especially when you start having kids, save money. Right. That's Great advice. <laughs> so where can people find you if they're looking for you? Um, yes. So I'm in Houston, Texas. My business is called Houston Community Surgical. I do general colorectal surgery. You can find me online, www.houstoncommunitysurgical.com. And um, I've got a TikTok. Um, it's my name, Rita Belazir, MD. Um, same with my Instagram as well. Yay. That's so good. So guys... You thought it was going to be good. You didn't realize it was going to be this good. Thank you. <laughs> you explained things so well and so clear. Really appreciate it. So on the flip side, guys, if you're looking for a primary care doc, quality primary care doc, look us up, www.applevalleyfamilymed.com or call us at 304-350-1087. So Dr. Bell is here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. This was fun. Hey, it was. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and include a review. Don't forget, you're worth it, and your health is our priority. Tune in for another episode next week, and have a great rest of your week.